What if there was a way forward in life that was filled with ease, empowerment, and a sense of direction? I'm Debbie Rosenfeld, personal empowerment mentor and guide, and you're listening to Elevated Embodiment, a way to calm the chaos in life by taking radical accountability for where you are. Today, I am feeling reflective, hopeful, and excited for this time of year. Did you know that our lives mimic the seasons of Mother Nature? And sharing our different seasons of life, the ebbs and flows, is about a constant process of realignment. Nothing's ever stagnant. Energy changes. Our energy changes. And the energy in our environment is ever-evolving. It's about having awareness, paying attention to how things are flowing or possibly not flowing, a way that works for us with support or not. When we are aware, conscious of our energy and the energy around us, it's great information to have, an opening to asking ourselves, Where do I want to put my energy or not? We live as Mother Nature does. She has her seasons, and each season is different. So until you experience some type of fall from grace or tragedy that occurs in life, or a major change that just stops you in your tracks and forces you to stop and slow down, or takes you to a place where you feel or you say to yourself, I'm not willing to live like that anymore. For me, that happened when my son died. I'll share my story. It was December 20th, 2008, and it had been snowing here in Seattle, in the Edmonds, Washington area where we live. I had reached out to my son Brian that day, or Maybe he reached out to me and said, Hey, Mom, would you mind picking me up? Because my car doesn't drive in the snow, which he had a a two-door Mercedes, I believe it was. And it just was not a car that drove in the snow. And he wanted me to take him to the gym because he had just opened the gym in February of 2008. He ventured out as an entrepreneur And he bought a franchise, the franchise rights to a gym, and it was his first business. And uh, Todd and I helped him. And so he actually opened on uh, February 27th that year, 2008. So we told him, um, well, we would be happy to pick him up. And because we were going to go grocery shopping, so we would take him to the gym and then we would go do our shopping and then come back and pick him up. So it came, it got around to about two o'clock and I called him and said, Hey, Bright, we're going to head home first, unload the car, and then we'll come pick you up. So we'll be right down in a bit. So not even 10 seconds later, 
after we hung up, he called me right back and he said, Hey, Mom, the police are here asking for you. I said, What for? And he said, I don't know. And I started thinking, Huh, am I in trouble or something? Didn't think anything of it. So I told him, Okay, we'll just head on down and we'll we'll be there in a minute. So as we were driving down, I thought, Ooh, I'm wondering if this Kenny and Brian creating a surprise for mom, for me, because it was five days away from Christmas. So I called Kenny and left him a voicemail saying, hey, Ken, hey, it's mom. It's it's snowing here. Kenny lived in uh, Arizona, Prescott Valley, Arizona. So we got to the gym and I walked in and I looked at Brian. I said, okay, so where's the police officer? And he said, oh, he's out there. I said, okay, so we just waited for him to come in. And the gym, the space, is the gym is wide open. And we did have this office created. It was a sliding glass door and all windows. So there was no ceiling because it just went up to the, the ceiling on top because there was no need to have a ceiling in the office. And he comes in and he goes to close the doors. And I look at him strangely. I'm going, why are you closing the doors? Um, I'm thinking, if you have something to share, everyone's going to hear it anyway. And comes up to me and he says, and I've got Todd there, Brian there, and Kelsey. And uh, the officer comes up to me and says, are you Debbie Rosenfeld? And I said, yes, I am. And then he said, do you have a son by the name of Ken Jones? I said, yes, I do. And then he proceeded to say, does he live at 5433 North Pierce Lane in Prescott Valley, Arizona? And I said, yes, he does. And then he proceeded to say, I am so sorry. Your son died by suicide. And I looked at him sternly and I'm going, how would you know? Like, how would you know? I said that two or three times to him. And in my head, I was thinking, how dare you tell me that? You don't live in Arizona. You live right here in Edmonds. We were just in such utter shock. Years, like, like, what is going on? Is this real? And I said, so how would you know? How, yeah, how would you know? And he says, well, we were notified by the Prescott Valley, Arizona police. And so then we came to share this with you. So what we can do is we can go up to your home and we can call the Prescott Valley police at that time and you can they can share with you what they found. So we all drove up to the house and got the uh, Prescott Valley Arizona police on the phone and um, they just shared with me and they said that we would have to call the medical examiner's office because that's where Kenny is and We'd have to figure out, you know, a funeral home and all of that. And I just like was in utter shock. So it's like, how does one navigate life through tragic loss? It's been 15 years now and heck, I'm still learning how to navigate through losing a son. Others, as I serve others, it's really like, how does one navigate? It's something we're not taught. We don't know until it actually occurs in our life. My sons mean the world to me. And when they were growing up, it's like they were little old men. 
They were fun, and we all had fun together. Kenny was my first, and we had become close over time. And we were blessed with a couple of letters from Kenny, one sharing his thoughts with each one of us, family member, as well as his friends that he wanted me to share with them. And then another letter about his stuff, what he wanted us to do with his stuff. I think he was, it was his Kenny's way of taking care of us because he was a very caring and loving individual. And what he shared was that something was missing. Back then, there was MySpace, and he posted something on MySpace that was private, but he gave us the link to it so we could read it. And he said just something was missing. He felt truly loved by his family, by his friends, and it wasn't that he wanted more friends. He even questioned if he should have moved down to Phoenix to be closer to his friends. Kenny was also an old soul. He had his life planned out at 16, 17 years old, and he did exactly that. He was in the Air Force for four and a half years. He got his aeronautical science degree from Embry-Riddle. He was taking pilot lessons, flying lessons to become a pilot. And I know there was a hitch in the giddy-up for him in one of those as he was learning to fly. He had a really difficult time with the, um, you go through these different check rides and there's one check ride that you just fly by instruments. So they block out your view and you only can use the instruments and he couldn't pass that. So that gives you a little bit of my story and a little bit about my sons. But the last 15 years has been about how does one navigate life after tragic loss? So back in 2008, I was working in corporate America as a contractor, as a CFO for a a design and manufacturing company. They were located here in Bothell and the design piece, but then the manufacturing and the transportation piece were down in uh, Tecate, California, and then Tecate, Mexico. So I was had been traveling once or twice a month down to San Diego. And I was helping this company grow from 19 million to 33 million in that year. And over the course of time, from April to December, I had been building a team of people to support the growth in the accounting department and to clean up the accounting department. So I had been used to going 125 miles an hour. And just like that, just like that, December 20th, my world was turned upside down. Oh, it's a bit heavy. (laughs) Every time I share this story, it has me reflect back on those times, those feelings of all that we had to go through. Because first off, we had to figure out how to get to Prescott Valley, Arizona, because it had been snowing so much here, we couldn't get out. We couldn't fly out. the, The snow was like so thick. I was trying to get airline tickets and we couldn't. So my husband made the suggestion, oh, let's take the train down. And I'm going, Todd, I don't want to take the train, but that's exactly what we did. We got a sleeper car and Todd and I and Brian 
were in that car and we took the train down to Sacramento and then my uncle picked us up and took us to the airport so we could fly into Phoenix. It was December 24th that we arrived in Phoenix and had to rent a car and drive up to Prescott Valley and see Kenny for the last time. So as I share my story with you all, these memories are all coming back in the feelings. And I got to share again that it's quite heavy. So I can only imagine that when you experience your tragic loss or a loss of a relationship, a loss of a partner, a loss of a business, it feels heavy to you as well. God has gifted me by placing people in my life that just need support. I'll never forget my first flight down to San Diego after Kenny's Kenny died, and I don't think it was until April. So I was on the plane waiting, and there was this, we were waiting for one person, and it just so happened that she was going to sit next to me. And so she came on board, and she was just this really sweet woman. And she just lost her grandfather. And her trip down to San Diego was to celebrate her grandfather's life. So the whole airline ride down to San Diego, we were talking. And I was just asking her to share stories about her grandfather. And she just lit up. She told some really cool stories. And she just shined. And sharing the stories just brought such joy to being able to share a story about her grandfather so that I know that really served her. That is just one example of one person that popped in my life and that I could support. And you know, there are no coincidences. I truly believe Spirit, God, was working, was working for both of us. You know, when we had our gym, there are many people that came in that needed support as well. And we would just start a conversation. And then, gosh, back in December of 2016, there was a period of six to seven months where I had lost six family members in a matter of seven months. Maybe it was five. First, it was my dad. That was on December 4th of 2016. And then my cousin Bill, he died in February of 2017 from esophageal cancer. And then my sister-in-law, Cindy, Cindy Rosenfeld, and she was only 46. She um, had Hodgkin's non-lymphoma and had been going through chemo. And it was the chemo treatments that destroyed her liver. And the doctor, she went to the doctor and for a checkup, and the doctor said she only had 10 days to live. So we all came together as a family, the Rosenfelts. We all drove over to Walla Walla to support her and Jeff. And then we went back over to celebrate her birthday, which was just not even a week later. And myself and my other sister-in-law, Deborah Rosenfeld, and yes, there are two of us, but she is a nurse. And we stayed with Cindy and as she was going through the dying process, that was really hard, but it brought the family together. Then May 15th, my kitty, Kiki, 
who was with me for 15 years, and she was the one that helped me through the loss of my son. She just gave unconditional love after Kenny died. She stuck by my side. And then my Uncle D, Uncle Dennis, that was my dad's brother, and he died from liver cancer in June, July of 2017. So a heavy seven months. I finally realized I needed help because I thought, well, I've been through the worst of the worst, meaning my son dying tragically. And I thought, okay, I need some help. I'll find another grief counselor. And as soon as I made the appointment, oh, my body felt relief. I felt relief. It's just like I could take a deep breath. That year was a heavy year. My family and I went on different vacations. So my husband and I went on a two and a half week drive through six different national forests, national parks, down through California, Oregon, California, and then back up. And then two weeks later, my mom, my sister, and I, and my brother were on a cruise from New York to Montreal. There was a lot of downtime and uh, time away, which was very supportive. Then in 2018, May of 2018, I was introduced to the grief recovery method. And so I chose to be certified in this method, which is very therapeutic by nature, but it's not therapy. It's very practical, useful support. So I help people that way. And then God blessed me on October 2018, specifically October 21st. And my neighbor, my neighbor's wife died unexpectedly. And when I heard this huge blood curdling scream, I ran across the street and I just held him and I helped him through that process that day. And it just so happens that I learned a chaplain came to support Eric, but also to support the police officer as he's doing an investigation when it comes to asking questions and things like that. Because that's normal. That's a normal process when someone dies unexpectedly um, and the fire department's called, police come, they have to do their investigation to make sure that there wasn't any foul play. But also a chaplain comes just to be present, just to hold their presence, hold space through a really difficult time. People asked, looked at me and said, who are you? And I said, I'm just a neighbor. I've been through something like this before, so I'm here to serve Eric. In the meantime, I had conversations with Dale, who's the, the chaplain at the time, and we talked and exchanged phone numbers. And as I was walking out the door in the afternoon, because I could tell it was time for me to leave, I could just feel it. Eric's sister came up from Buckley and the medical examiner had arrived and uh, I knew it was time to leave. So I just looked up at the sky as I walked out the door and I said, hmm, I wonder what it takes to become a chaplain. And then that was the start of my journey of becoming a chaplain for our community, serve our community with South County Fire under Support 7, serving others on the worst day of their life. So in 2019, I got trained and I was shadowing calls and I so felt on purpose. So that was the beginning of my journey working with and under Support 7 as a chaplain and with South County Fire. And when the pandemic hit, we were shut down so we could take calls, but we couldn't go out on call. 
And so when we went back into service, I think that was around the spring of 21. I think, yeah, I think it was the spring of 21, March. And calls became more frequent, like a lot of young people were dying. So it was emotionally hard. And so now I support leaders and individuals with calming the chaos, whatever that looks like in their world. So we all go through seasons in our life, the ups and the downs, the ebb and the flow. It's learning how to navigate through the really challenging times. It's actually creating sacred space for your soul, for your heart, for your mind, learning how to live life with grace, to ground yourself, because you're just, we're so emotionally distraught inside. There's this internal emotion of feeling lost, of being in shock and being bewildered. I felt lost. And now I've been learning to listen to my voice, to listen to my intuition, not the outside world. I've learned to ground myself. I've learned about restoration, how to restore life after it has been shaken, just being authentically myself, creating self-care and compassion. What does that look like for me? And then embodying the pause, embodying the pause. So I'm grateful. I'm feeling quite grateful for you listening. And I hope that you see possibility here, that you see hope, because there is hope after loss, after the really difficult times. Studio production. Find us at six-two.studio for all your creative sound needs.